Dear Father, as we come before you, as we remember you, as we remember your Son during this festive season, we pray for the Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts that will keep us from the temptation to go with this world and uh, see Christmas as just another holiday, another season of celebration. We pray that as we look at your word, you will give us attentive hearts and eyes that can see and ears that can hear, so we may truly know the majesty of the coming of your Son. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, <coughs> what is the meaning of Christmas? Uh, what is the meaning of Christmas? Now, the whole of today's sermon, uh, based on Galatians, is really about the meaning of Christmas. What does it really mean? Is it just about shopping, celebration, holidays, and food? Uh, the reason why I say this is because I, I, while I was on leave, I went to uh, some churches and obviously this being December, they were preaching on Christmas. But they weren't really telling me as I was listening, or maybe I wasn't paying attention very well, what the meaning of Christmas was about. They were telling me what happened during Christmas and what did it mean. So today, I want to look at what the meaning of Christmas is really all about. And it might be a bit unusual because we're only going to look at two verses uh, and one sentence. That probably is because I'm coming back from my holidays and I want to keep things simple. But we're just going to look at two verses, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, one sentence. And I think that we can really unpack this sentence and really understand it to its, to its fullest uh, and uh, you know, to, to really fill it out. Then we will understand what Christmas really means. So let's look at uh, verse 4 and see how it begins. Because it begins, uh, you can pull it up here on the slide, that when the time had fully come, when the time had fully come. Literally what it says there is, when time had been fulfilled, when the fullness of time had arrived. Now, it tells us uh, something interesting. Is if you really think about this, just these few words, when the time had fully come, tells us that Christmas is really special. Because it means that God had a plan for time. That time is not something which just goes round and round every year but that time is actually moving towards a purpose, and when the time was right, when the fullness of time, or like when time had reached its pregnancy, right, Jesus came. Now, I wonder whether that actually resonates with you, whether you actually realize that time has a purpose, that time is moving towards a particular direction, that it's actually moving towards the birth of Jesus Christ, that that is the fullness of time. Because I think that for many people, we see time as just something that goes round and round and round and round, where it just never seems to be going anywhere. Now, I remember uh, seeing these pictures before. I can't remember where I saw them, but uh, I thought it was by Picasso, but actually uh, I realized that Google corrected me. It's not from Picasso, it's by Salvador Dali, right? So here's two pictures, this one and another one about time, which he painted later in his life. And basically, the pictures are about the meaninglessness of time. Uh, that that uh, there is no order in time, that the passing of time has no meaning. And I think that for many people, especially as you get a bit older, time doesn't seem to have meaning. I remember talking to a partner of my accounting firm many years ago, and he said that he used to measure time by the grains of coffee he would put in his cup every morning. And every morning he would put you know, two teaspoons of coffee into his cup. And that meant that he had two teaspoons left of coffee to drink for the rest of his life. Now, I'm not sure whether it's because he's an auditor and that's why he sees life in such a depressing way, right? But, but that's how he saw time. That time was just running out on him and it was meaningless. 
But for us, when we look at this passage, actually time is not meaningless. Time actually has a purpose, and its purpose is found in Jesus Christ. And that's why it says there, when the fullness of time had come. So I want you to look at your watch, right? Uh, I mean, some of you, you know, uh, try to do it during the sermon, but I can catch you doing it. But now you can legitimately look at your watch, right? So you look at your, look at your watch, and you can see the minutes and the seconds ticking by. But they are not just ticking by, they are actually marking time. And time is actually fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And therefore, as we look at it, Christmas is special because it actually shows that the fullness of time has arrived. That time is not meaningless, that God has a plan for time. And it is fulfilled when Christmas came, when he sent his son into the world. And that's the second thing that I want to look at, the next uh, phrase in the sentence, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of woman. Now if you really consider again, pay attention to what these just few words are saying, it's actually saying that God sent his son into time, into our world, into our history. So therefore the foundation of Christmas, or Christianity, is not philosophy or speculation or legend or make-believe, but it's based on history. God sent his own son who was God into our time, into history, and therefore we can know God. See, Christianity is not like a Walt Disney, okay? So Jesus is not record raw, okay? Jesus is a real person who comes to do real things. And therefore, the whole basis of Christianity and the Bible, if you're not ready for yourself, is that it's about a real person who is God, who's come into this world, and you can investigate it, you can check it, you can find out for yourself that it is true. And I was reading uh, just last week this book uh, called The Case for Christ. And it was about this award-winning journalist in Chicago, who decided to find out if Jesus was real. And that's what he did. He looked at the historical accounts of Jesus in the Bible. And after doing lots of investigation, he realized it was true. And he himself decided to become a Christian. So, Christianity and Christmas is about the fullness of time and God sending his very own son, himself a God, who is God to come into this world. And that's why we celebrate Christmas, because we celebrate God coming into this world. Uh, there are many famous and prominent people in uh, history, uh, off the top of my head, like Einstein or Isaac Newton, but we don't celebrate the birth of Isaac Newton or Albert Einstein. Why? Because in the end, as brilliant as they are, as smart as they are, they are just humans like you and I. But we celebrate Christmas because it is where God actually comes into the world. And that's why if you look at that phrase again, just really pay attention to that phrase. It says, God sent his son, born of woman. That means that Jesus, before he comes to be born in the manger, was actually existent. Right? Sometimes when you think of Christmas, we think, that, okay, you know, you look at the manger, there's, you know, cute baby Jesus with all the animals and uh, his parents, and we think that's when Jesus comes into existence. But if you look at what it says properly, it actually says that God sent his son, who was already alive, who was already existent, into the world. So Jesus, who existed before time, before creation, actually comes into our world, and that's what we remember during Christmas. 
Now, even from those few sentences, I mean, not especially not sentences, but those, those few phrases in the sentences, you can see just how great Christmas is. That time had reached its fulfillment during Christmas, that God's Son, who existed before history began, comes into the world, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. And that's really important for us, because when we go down Orchard Road, we might be dazzled by the lights, and we might see the big Christmas tree in Takashimaya, or we might think of the presents that we have, or Santa Claus, and we think that's what Christmas is about. But when you think of what Christmas really is about, that it is the fullness of time and God sending His pre-existent Son into the world, you see that Christmas is about something much, much, much greater than that. That is the meaning of Christmas. But the sentence hasn't ended yet. Because it goes on to say, God sent the Son born of a woman, born under law. Uh, sorry, next slide. Born under law. So what happens is, Jesus, who is God, comes into our world, and he's born under the law together with everybody else. The whole of humanity. Not just in the time, 2,000 years, but born under law, together with all the people who existed before Jesus. Now, it may seem strange to our ears, because uh, obviously we haven't studied Galatians chapter 1, 2, and 3. But Galatians was actually written to the early church, made up of Jews and Gentiles. And when he uses the phrase, born under the law, he was saying that humanity, both Jews and that Gentiles, were born under the bondage of the law. Under the law. The word under the law is a negative word. It means there were people born under the bondage, the slavery, the tyranny, oppression and dom dom dominion and domination of the law. And Jesus comes into this world where all of humanity is under the slavery of law. Jews and Gentiles. Now you might ask yourself, how is that possible? Because the Jews know the law, but the Gentiles don't know the law. But I think the, the idea in Galatians is that everybody is under the law, regardless of whether they know it consciously or whether they unconsciously are aware that they are not fulfilling God's standard for them in their life. Now I'm sure that for ourselves we can, we can appreciate that. If you just think for yourself in the last week, or not even the last week, the last day, is every thought, every action, every deed that you've done consistent with what you think God would want you to do? No, isn't it? We all fail, either by the things that we do or the things that we don't do, to meet the standard that God would like us to keep in our life. And that's why Jesus comes into the world of people born under the law. Now, I'm going to spend a, a little bit longer on this because if you look at the passage that we just read in Galatians chapter 4, verse 3 to 11, surrounding this uh, passage, verse 4, are sections about showing how we are all born into slavery. We are all slaves. I mean, we don't look like slaves here, but we are slaves. Right? So, if you look at verse 3, there's a similar idea because in verse 3, it says there, while we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Now, that's a similar idea to being under the law, because we were slaves under, again the negative word, under the basic principles of the world. And what it really means here is that we are all under slavery to the worldly way of living, to the fleshly way of living. 
And by our very nature, we are all living in opposition to God. We are all living in rebellion and revolting against God. Not because we are consciously trying to do it, but because it comes naturally to us. Because that's the basic principle of the world. The worldly way of living. That's why we are under slavery to sin. We are under the law. And that's why in verse 8, it says a very similar thing. Formerly, in the past, right, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. So what this, I, what this uh, section is saying, verse 8 to 11, is that in the past, people were trying to be right with God, trying to have a relationship with God by religion. They were enslaved by weak and miserable principles. That's the idea here. They were seeking to justify themselves before God through the use of religion. But God, speaking through Paul, says that they are weak and miserable principles because you can never, never be right with God through trying to do things to justify yourself. Now, I like the story that was told by a minister who married me, this guy called Simon Manchester. And uh, he, he says that every time he meets young people, he's an old person, right? Uh, every time he meets young people, and he, you know, he's talking to them, whenever they find out that he's a minister, immediately, he says, immediately, they will always say, oh, you know, I do volunteer work. Right? And, 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 and he, he asks himself the question, why is it when people meet ministers, they always tell, they always seek to justify themselves to the minister by saying that, oh, you know, I've done this, or I've done that, I've done some volunteer work. Because essentially, what he was saying, which I agree with him, people are saying to him that all is well with me, all is well with my soul. I do volunteer work and I really hope that that is enough for God. You don't need to help me anymore. But that is a weak and miserable principle because we are slaves. We are slaves to sin. We are slaves. We are slaves under the law. We are slaves to the basic principles of this world. So Jesus comes to those under the law during this time in order to save them. See, slavery is a terrible thing. I don't think anybody wants to be born to be a slave. But three times in this short passage from verse 3 to 11, there's the idea of being under the law of slavery, under the principles of the law of slavery, to the weak and principles, weak and miserable principles of religion. But Jesus comes to put an end to slavery. And that's why Christmas is such a great thing. Because it is an end to our slavery, not physical slavery, but an end to spiritual slavery, to sin and to judgment. And that's why in the next uh, section, you can see we're nearly finishing, right? Okay? It says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, the word redeem here is not a word that we find, uh, that we use very often. I mean, uh, anybody here used the word redeem in the last week? No, we don't use the word redeem. But the word redeem 
is literally the idea of freeing someone by paying a price. So uh, someone is kidnapped. All right, that doesn't happen very often in Singapore. But if you go to you know maybe Thailand or Malaysia, you kidnap. You know, so someone has to pay a ransom to set you free because you are enslaved. Right? You know, slavery is basically bondage. You know, you can't set yourself free. That's a, the idea, the definition of slavery, right? If you're a slave, you cannot set yourself free. You need someone else to set you free. The same thing is happening here. Jesus comes to pay the price to redeem or to set people free from slavery. From slavery under the law, slavery under the basic principles of this world, slavery to the weak and miserable principles of trying to justify yourself before God. So Jesus comes into this world, he is God, to give his life to redeem or to pay so that those under the law might be set free. Now, I want you to think for a second what it must be like to be a slave and then to be set free. I think that this is a wonderful thing. If you're ever a slave, I'm sure none of you have ever experienced what it's like to be a slave, but imagine being a slave but then to finally be set free. What a wonderful day that would be for you. But that's what Christmas is about, isn't it? That you are a slave and then you are set free. But there's so much more to that. So much more to Christmas because not only are you a slave but you've been set free, but you're set free not to just be a nobody, you're set free to become a son of God, to be part of the family of God. You're now adopted by God. You see, in the ancient world, uh, they didn't practice adoption the way that uh, we practice adoption in the modern world. So, you know, if people want to have children, usually they adopt babies, right? I mean, people don't adopt teenagers, okay? But in the ancient world, apparently, from what I understand uh, from history, in, in the ancient world during this time, people did adopt older children. Children who were not just babies, but, you know, people who were much older than that. And what would happen was, when you got adopted, usually by a rich family, you would, you would have all your debts paid for, you'd leave all your whole life behind, you'd take on a new name, and you'd have all the rights and prestige and wealth of your new family. So what the imagery is here, is such a powerful imagery, it's just that we've lost it because we don't live in a world of slavery anymore, we don't live in a world of adoption that way. But it's saying that God has taken a slave, and made him part of the highest family in eternity, God's family. That is what happens during Christmas time. But that is the process of what's happening when we remember at Christmas time. That God sends his son in order to free us from the slavery, but not just free us so that we are free from slavery, but to actually adopt us and give us full rights as part of his family. And how we do that is through this baby, Jesus. See, Christmas is not all about fun, family, and food. It's all about turning God's enemies, people who are rebels against God, who are slaves to sin and to the worldly way of living, and actually giving them complete freedom. But more than just freedom, to become the full right holders of God's family. See, to be part of a human family, all you have to do is to be born. But to be part of God's family, the eternal family of God, you need a supernatural thing. You need to be born again. And how are you born again? You're only born again 
because of Jesus coming to this world. That's how you were born again. Now, we must never mistake the common thinking that all of us are children of God. Okay, you know, sometimes you hear this phrase, oh, we're all children of God. You go listen to some sentimental song or something, right? It's the idea that everybody is, God is everybody's father. No, just because God created the world, it means that we are all creatures of God, but it doesn't mean that we belong to His family. We only belong to His family because He wishes to adopt us. And He adopts us because we are able to accept the, the wonderful gift of Christmas, which is to accept His Son coming into the world. Now, personally, I find Christmas to be a, a very conflicted time for me. Right? Because I think that it's so wonderful to celebrate the birth of Jesus. That the fullness of time has come into, uh, has come, right? That the whole purpose of time has arrived. And that God has sent His pre-existent Son into the world to come to free me from slavery and to make me His Son. I mean, that's wonderful and that's worth celebrating. But I think Christmas is also a very sad time. It's a tragic time for me because at the same time I see so many people who do not know or remember the true meaning of Christmas. That they get distracted by the trivial things, you know, all the bright lights and the presents and everything else, but they, they miss the true meaning of Christmas. It's a bit like, you know, sometimes when you give presents uh, to uh, young children, you know, you, you, you take all the trouble to go and buy this nice present, and you wrap it up on really nice wrapping paper, and you give it to the child, and you find that the child actually plays with the wrapping paper rather than the toy. You know, that sort of idea. Well, I think that's what happens, isn't it? That for us, when I look at the world, I see so many people, they are fascinated with the wrapping paper, but they've missed the real gift of Christmas, which is God's Son coming to this world to save people in slavery and to bring them to be sons of God and sons and daughters of God. So I play, um, okay, uh, people make fun of my golf illustrations in the church camp. But it's okay. I've got to go with what I have. So, um, I play golf with these two guys, and they are really rich. One of them is a remiser who has made lots of money in the 80s and 90s. He's retired. Another man is a very rich man. He's got lots of factories, and he sells factories off. And they are what the world would call nice people. I mean, they're not obviously criminals. They're not, they don't do bad things. Um, they try to do good things. And they actually say, oh, you know, we try to do good things to get right with God. Uh, they uh, enjoy the finest things the world can offer. They eat at the Marina Bay Sands. They go to the most extravagant shows. They travel first class. Uh, one of them divides the day into two parts. So basically, he has a nap in the afternoon, so the day is divided into two parts. Pre-nap and post-nap. Right? So, you know, pre-nap, he decides, okay, what am I going to do this morning? Play golf. Okay, then I'll eat lunch at this place. Then I have a nap. Then in the night time, I'll decide what books to read, which shows to go to, uh, what I'm going to do. So here are these uh, people, they are rich, they enjoy life, and uh, they think they're good people. But because they've missed out on the true meaning of Christmas, it really makes me sad, because in God's eyes, in reality, they have nothing. They really have nothing. Because they don't have Jesus Christ, they don't know what Christmas really means. They don't see that they are actually slaves under judgment for God. They don't see the purpose of time. They don't see God coming to this world. They don't see the future of their fullness as part of the family of God. 
contrast, uh, the life of these two friends that I know, acquaintances that I know, compared to uh, what J.I. Packer, who is a very prominent Christian, and what he says in, in his book, Knowing God, he says if you want to judge how well a person understands and knows Christianity, ask them the question, how much do they make of being God's child and having God as their father? Right? What does it mean to be God's child and having God as your father? Because if you are God's child and God is your father, you can have intimacy with God, you can have boldness when it comes to talking to God. It's the highest privilege you can ever have. Because you share in everything that God has. And what does God have? That he has everything, isn't it? He has all knowledge, he has all possessions, he has everything. As part of the family, you have everything. Uh, if you look at the passage one more time, just I didn't actually mean to preach on it, but that's what it says there. In verse um, 7, you are no longer a slave but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. See, as God's son and God's daughter, you have everything God has. And what does God have? He, he has nothing that, that, that is ever there. He has everything. So our identity and our destiny is all shaped based on this one sentence. That in the fullness of time, God sent his pre-existing son into the world, those who are born under the slavery of the law, to make us sons, to have the full rights of sonship, of daughtership. And this is what J.R. Packer says, when I understand who I am and my destiny, then life is not getting less and less. Every day is not one less grain of uh, coffee, but actually life is getting closer and closer to going home. Every day is getting closer and closer to being going back home to heaven to be part of my heavenly family. Now, I hope that as you understand just this one sentence, only one sentence, that's all we're preaching on today, just one sentence. If you can really understand that one sentence and understand it as it's meant to be understood, then I hope that you see what Christmas is all about. That the meaning of Christmas is so, so much more than what this world offers. There is no present this world can offer you. There is no lights, no show, no dinner, no Christmas tree that this world can offer you, which can compare with what this one sentence is telling us that Christmas is about. That all of time was pointed towards this event. That God comes into this world to save you from slavery by by, by, by getting his own son to die on the cross to pay for your price of slavery and to give you the full adoption rights as a son or daughter. What more can God give you? And that's why Christmas is something that's so great. So I hope that that really is something that is meaningful to you and that you will hold on to as a truth because that is the gift of Christmas. So let's go to God for Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to be in awe, help us to truly be in wonder at just how great you truly are and what Christmas should really mean. That all of history and time reached its fullness, reached its fulfillment 
when Jesus came into this world. That you sent your Son, who is fully God, who existed before time and creation, into the world during this time. That he came, born of a woman, born to those under the law, those who are under the bondage and slavery and dominion of law and sin and uh, the basic principles of this world where we sought to justify ourselves by weak and miserable principles. But Jesus, your pre-existent Son, came to redeem us, to pay the penalty for our rebellion and sin so that we could be set free. And not just set free, but to become your children, to exist with full rights in your family, that nothing should be denied us. So we pray for each and every person here today, that they may know the truth of what Christmas means, that they may accept this wonderful gift that you offer us in Jesus, so that we too may know the certainty of who we are and the certainty of our destiny to be part of your family for eternity. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.